Father. As we turn to God's Word, can I pray uh, for that? Um, I realise the time. Uh, sorry if we're um, running a little bit later than normal, but uh, please do bear with us as we go through the rest of our time together. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your Word. Um, we thank you, God, that uh, you speak to us through your Word. It is living and active. And so, God, we pray that we would have ears to hear and we would have hearts to respond. Uh, and, Father, I pray that um, if there's anything here that of mine, of my uh, creation, Father, would it strip away and would your word stand at the test of time? Would your word penetrate hearts, we pray? And so it's in your name and for your glory we ask these things. Amen. Um, as I mentioned today, then we're going to launch this new series by, by picking up where we left off in, in chapter 6, verse 8. Um, of the book of Acts and so we're going to be seeing the beginning of the church on the move uh, as we watch the church in Jerusalem disperse uh, and indeed we're going to end up um, in verse 8 where uh, sorry in chapter 8 verse 1 um, where we see these words and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria and that's not accidental language isn't it based on what we've just seen that the church in Jerusalem are scattered throughout Judea and Samaria just as Jesus said they would be uh, however the circumstances that brought about that scattering are far from comfortable reading indeed the beginning of that verse in chapter 8 verse 1 starts like this on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered uh, and so what we're going to see this morning is the church in Jerusalem was scattered as a result of a follower of Jesus losing their life for their rock solid faith. And so this is the story of Stephen. He was the first Christian martyr. And so far, this doesn't sound like a good news story, but this is far from a story of defeat. See, rather, what we see in this account and when we see this account in the context of the big picture, not just the big picture of the book of Acts, but God's plan for his gospel to spread throughout the world, then actually one of the great realities we see through Stephen's story is the wondrous truth of God's big plan. And we see this in at least three ways. We see God's big plan through Stephen's speech, where we see God's plan in the past with the gift of hindsight. And we see most of that in the, in the majority of chapter 7. And we see God's big plan in Stephen's example in the present We've read some of that. We're going to pick it up again at the end of chapter seven, start of verse, or end of chapter seven, where we see Stephen's character and God's plan in his life. And finally, then, even in Stephen's death, we get glimmers of hope for God's plan in the future, as we see how that points us forward to how God will continue His plan. And so, can I encourage you to spend some time in these chapters on your own um, when you can? As I mentioned earlier, there is so much that would be helpful for us to see together whether that's spending time looking at the character of Stephen or thinking about the boldness of his speech or, or even comparing the, the fury in the Sanhedrin compared to his graciousness and peace or, or the details even then of his speech, that Old Testament overview that, that he sweeps across centuries of history. Well, what does that teach us? And so we'll, we'll touch on some of these this morning, but we'll only really scratch the surface. So please do spend some time digging deeper to exploring some of these themes uh, we're going to pick up on some of them in our life groups this week, but please do engage with that um, if you can on your own. But for this morning, uh, we're, we're simply going to overview Stephen's speech in chapter 7. And, and then, as I mentioned, we'll spend a little time in the verses around it. So in the circumstances that lead to that speech and then the outcome of that speech. And as I said, in doing so, I think we'll see God's big plan, which is clear when we look at the past. 
his plan, which is clear when we see it in the present, and his plan, which is outlined for the future. And so let's begin by thinking about God's big plan in the past. And so if you have your Bibles open, uh, please do turn to Acts chapter 7, and you'll see from verse 2 right through to the end of verse 53, we have this record of Stephen's speech before the Sanhedrin, which is the, the Jewish ruling council. And this speech is taking place in Jerusalem, and um, we read the, the, the circumstances that led to him making that speech, but for now we're just going to focus on the speech itself. And, and it's a wonderful speech. If you ever wanted uh, a truncated summary of the whole New Testament, the, the Hebrew Scriptures, uh, this is a great place to start. Um, because you can see right from the start of the speech, Stephen takes his hearers back to the very beginning of the Israelite nation with the calling of Abraham. And so we have it recorded for us in Genesis 12, which um, Stephen does quote from, but we see it here in Acts 7, uh, verses 2 and 3. And so let's read those verses together. So Stephen says he responds to these claims and he says, to this he replied, brothers and fathers, uh, listen to me. The glory of uh, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So Stephen starts this speech by by going back to the foundation of the people of Israel, the, the people that God had chosen to be his people on earth. God had promised in this covenant with Abraham uh, that he would be their God, that he would bless them and that they would be a blessing to the world. And they would be that blessing to the world by how they displayed God's love and God's holiness with their whole lives. And part of that blessing was going to be the securing of a, of a geographical territory, a, a land that they could call their own, a physical space for them to live out this radical covenant relationship with their God. And so beginning from this point, Stephen then moves his, whole, moves his way through the whole chunk of Israel's history, some of it good, some of it bad. Um, but, but here's just a summary of it. We see him talk about Abraham in verses 2 and 7, or 2 through to 7, then Isaac in verse 8, Jacob in verse 8 also. Uh, Joseph is mentioned from verse 9 through to verse 19. And obviously that's part of the story of the Israelite people in Egypt, which we see from verse 9 to 36. Then as part of that story as well, as they... Um, are brought out of Egypt we see the introduction of Moses in verse 20 and his his in, his involvement in the story is taken right through to verse 44 part of that is all is obviously the exodus coming out of Egypt Mount Sinai where God gives them a, a, this covenant uh, and the, the ten commandments then we see them wandering in the wilderness as they waver in their response to him eventually then they do get to the promised land and under Joshua's leadership they enter that in verse 45 uh, and then we're taken right forward to, to King David in verse 44 and 46, or 45 and 46, Solomon in 47, and the temple in verses 47 to 50. It, it's an incredible sweep throughout the, this nation's history. And it wouldn't have been new information for the audience that, Jesus, that Stephen is speaking to. Uh, so why does he go into all of those details? Well, well, one of the things I think that Stephen is highlighting as he speaks is the reality of God's involvement with his people in the past. But in doing so, what Stephen is showing is he's displaying God's unwavering faithfulness, despite the fickleness of the people in their obedience. And so we see that God promised Abraham that he would have many descendants and then provides those through Isaac. We see God promising delivering deliverance from the hands of the Egyptian slave masters and he provides that under Moses' guidance. We see God welcoming his people into covenant relationship with himself and then we see him, we see them reject him and wander in the wilderness as a result. 
We see God promise this land for his people. And even with the reality of centuries of waiting and and lots of difficulty, he provides it under Joshua's leadership. We see the tangible presence and representation of God's presence in the tabernacle and then in the temple. See, we see time and time again of the faithfulness of God on display as he worked his plans in the history of Israel. And yet we also see the fickleness of the Israelite people as they've wavered in their obedience with God. And they also waver in their assurance of his plan. And so Stephen has been outlining the faithfulness of God in comparison with the fickleness of his people. And that's the theme then that Stephen brings right home to the feet of those who are listening to him. Stephen's showing that this pattern of faithfulness versus fickleness has continued right up to the death of Jesus. Indeed, Stephen says explicitly in verses 52 and 53 of chapter 7, And now you have betrayed him, you who have received the law that was given through the angels but have not obeyed it. See, Stephen's showing that the way in which the Jewish leaders have treated Jesus, indeed how they have killed him, is further evidence of God's faithfulness despite his people's fickleness. And what we see in this account of faithfulness and fickleness in the past is that in every situation and at all times, God is not surprised that he is working out his big plan. And Stephen is standing at that moment in history looking back to the past and he can see that so clearly. Uh, And so if that's the case, why why is that important? Well, the, the, The beauty of hindsight is wonderful because it can lay down a pattern for us that we can be confident to follow. And so a brief look at the history of God's work in in his world through his people show that his plans have been completely fulfilled. And then we can be sure then that regardless of the circumstances that we may face, he will continue to work out his plans. And so that builds trust, that builds security, that that builds a perspective that isn't buffeted by trials and strains and pressures and fears of life around us because, because we appreciate that God's plans are ultimately good. And that's good as measured by his eternal and holy perspective, not my temporary selfish one. That we know his plans are good. And because of how we see him at work in the past, we know that his plans will come to be so we can be sure that he can be trusted. And now, of course, that doesn't mean, as Stephen is showing, doesn't mean that those who trust in Jesus are are assured that God's plans are going to bring comfort and happiness and, and some kind of easygoing existence. Of course, that's not always the case. Stephen's overview of the Old Testament shows that. But what that does remind us of is the understanding that even when we encounter things that seem to throw us off course or or cause our earthly foundations to shake, that we worship a God who is bigger than that, who is greater than that, a God who can say, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. And so we can lean into his plans. We know that his plans are greater than ours. We know that they will come to be. So not only is this a a transformative perspective for us in in the 21st century, living in the context of COVID-19 and all the turmoil that that has brought. but, But for the first century Christians who are just about to be scattered from Jerusalem. As a result of intense persecution, they needed this assurance that God's big plan made sense, even if their circumstances didn't seem to. 
And so if you if you find yourself questioning what's going on, questioning where God is in the midst of what you're going through, perhaps it would be helpful to try to take some moments of, of reflection and consider the past. How can you trace the big plan of God in, in your life, but also in the life of his church around the world, in his plans in, in the history of faith? How does all of that tracing build confidence in the present you find yourself in and the future you're hoping for? Because God has not changed, nor have his plans. And for those of us who know and trust in Jesus, this month has been a wonderful time of doing that, that we've been reflecting, celebrating Easter the wonder of God's plan when it came to the biggest problem that the world has ever and will ever see, our sin. We see God's plan at play. We've marveled at Jesus' sacrificial death in our place on the cross, taking the penalty of the sin that was mine to pay upon himself so that I might be counted righteous before a holy and just God. We've recalled the mind-blowing events of Jesus' bodily resurrection on that first Easter Sunday, proving that he has defeated sin and death. And therefore, he is worthy to be called Lord and and King of my life. And so in that that most important, in in that biggest sense, we can look to the past and see God's plan so victoriously worked out. And so through Stephen's example, we get this wonderful perspective that, that he's showing that throughout all of history, God's plans are being worked out. And this is more than a history lesson. It's, it's a roadmap of God's plans being fulfilled, showing that despite God's people's faith, fickleness in their response to him, God is unendingly faithful and he is working out his plans. And another reality we, we see from this account, uh, and on a more personal level, as we zoom in on Stephen himself, is God's big plan in the present. See, as I mentioned earlier, we could spend a huge amount of time exploring the character of Stephen and his example of the Christian life. Um, but for now, I just want to simply highlight the number of times we see his character come to the fore, even the times, the number of times we see Stephen being described as full of something. And just look at some of these examples with me. So we see in, in verses, uh, in chapter 6, verse 5, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Now Stephen in verse in verse eight, a man full of God's grace and power. In verse ten, some argued with him, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Verse fifteen, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen. They saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And then towards the end of the encounter, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Verse 59, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed. In verse 60, then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. See, Stephen is is shown as an incredible man, full of God's spirit, full of God's grace and power and boldness in declaring his word. Full of an, an eternal perspective and vision, full of forgiveness right to the end. It's truly remarkable. But I actually want to suggest that Stephen isn't shown here as, as, an, as some kind of extreme example, almost as if he's on one end of the spectrum of followers of Jesus, the, the really good end, if you like. And the rest of us are spread out on some, some, some kind of sliding scale of holiness or ability. You see, 
the aspects of Stephen's character that we rightly admire and that we wish that we could emulate in some way, they're nothing to do with Stephen himself. And they're all to do with God's work in his life in the present. So if I could put it this way, what, what we see in the example of Stephen's life is God's big plan for the lives of his followers being worked out in the present. And what is God's big plan for each individual follower of him? Well, it's that we know him. It's that we are empowered by his spirit to be transformed more into the likeness of his son. And so when it comes to God's plan for our individual lives, I I know there are many big questions that we face regarding that. And we don't have time this morning to dive into what that is in its fullness. But, But we often wonder about God's plan for our lives, don't we? Whether it's career choices or relationship questions or house moves or family life, we we search for God's plan in these things. And that is right and that is good. We want to be attentive to where God is at work in our lives. But the overriding plan of God for your life and mine is that we become more like him. In 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3, we see these wonderful words. It is the Lord's will. If you're wanting to know the Lord's will for your life, here it is. It is the Lord's will that you should be sanctified. And sanctified means that our lives become more like an imitation of Jesus's life. And that's God's will for us. That's his plan for us. And that's his plan for today in the present. And we see that with Stephen, don't we? His life imitates Jesus's in a remarkable way, even, even to the point where his words and his attitudes seem to sound and look like Jesus. I mean, at the end of chapter 7, did you notice as, as he's being killed for his courageous faith, while he's being killed, he commits his spirit to God. He says in verse 59, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And doesn't that remind us in Luke twenty-three forty-six, when Jesus on the cross called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. In verse 60, back in Acts chapter 7, we see Stephen saying, then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And again, doesn't that give us echoes of Jesus' cry from the cross in Luke 23, 34? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. You see, we, we, we see in, in, Jesus, in Stephen's life and in his death that he was being molded into the character of Christ. And surely that is God's plan, his big plan for all of us in the present. And, and as we recognise this, let's make sure that we also recognise the source of of that transformation. This wasn't about Stephen, the man of great willpower. No, no, no. This was about Stephen, the man full of the Spirit. See, he had opened every area of his life for God to have complete reign in. And we have the same Spirit. The Holy Spirit's power hasn't diminished since these encounters that we read about in Scripture. He's still powerful. He's still active. He still resides in every follower of Jesus. So we have to take those those active and decisive steps to enable him to have the same free reign in our lives that he had in Stephen's. And I fully appreciate that's not easy. I mean, we, we all like to keep a certain level of control, don't we? I mean, if we didn't, well, just, just in case God would call us to something that we don't really want or ask us to bend that habit that actually we quite enjoy. Or, or what if he led us to serve him in a, in a country where you couldn't get a decent flat white and good Wi-Fi signal. Now, I realise that that sounds like I just came off with a flippant comment. And believe me, I, I don't say that flippantly. I'm not making light of this because that's a real personal challenge. Because it forces me, even in that flippantness, to recognise, well, would I? 
Would I be willing to follow him wherever he wanted to send me, even if that meant to the point of death at the hands of those who so violently rejected his message? You see, so often I long for my own comfort, my own security, my own plans for the future. And so do I hold on to things that actually I need to lay down before our Father? It seems that Stephen laid his whole life down long before he met his end at the the stones that hit him. He laid his life down before his father and committed his whole life to Jesus in a way that, that was revolutionary, maybe, we read that as. But I want to suggest, actually, that seems to be the norm. That seems to be the standard that God is calling us to. So am I allowing God to work out his big plan in my life in the present? Which is moulding me more into the likeness of his son or am I holding back from him and in doing so am I am I missing out of the missing out on the the joy of complete abandon as I follow him might not mean comfort might not mean an easy life might not mean happiness but it does mean joy and so from Stephen's life we see this example as he has highlighted God's big plan in the past. And now we've seen his plan very personally in the present. And finally and very briefly, I just want to think about his plan, God's plan for the future. You see, twice at the end of this account, at the very end of chapter 7 and the very start of chapter 8, uh, we see someone mentioned in a way that sounds inc- incidental but is in no way intended to be so. So what we see is this man Saul coming onto the picture. We see it at the end of verse 58. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. In the start of chapter 8, and Saul approved of their killing him. So many of you will know and may be familiar with the identity of this man, Saul. But his inclusion in the story here gives us a hint of hope at God's big plan for the future. Now we'll see more of this man in the weeks to come, but Saul was to be one of the 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 biggest and greatest persecutors of the first Christians. He he was a Jewish religious leader, a a young man of great standing and reputation. He was gifted and passionate. Uh, And when we we meet him here in chapter 7 and chapter 8, we we see a man who hated Christianity, hated everything it stood for. Uh, For him, it was a complete affront to his cherished Jewish faith. And it was a scourge on society that needed to be eradicated. And so that's what he devoted his life to, eradicating Christians, rounding them up and imprisoning them. This is Saul giving approval to their killing. And so why is he mentioned here at the end of Stephen's story? Well, Saul undergoes a great transformation. Saul, the persecutor, was to become Paul, the apostle. Saul, the rejecter of Christianity, was to become the greatest herald of it across the Roman world. You see, Saul's inclusion here at the end of Stephen's story is not accidental. It's not incidental. Luke is highlighting his presence so that all who hear and read of this story can know that God is the God who has a plan for the future. And therefore, he can be trusted even when circumstances don't seem to be going the way that we would have planned them. But that's exactly the point. We haven't planned them. God has, and so he can be trusted. You see, at the the beginning of of chapter 8, we not only do we see the inclusion of Saul, but we also see the result of Stephen's death and how this death was, was part of the catalyst for God's 
a church to be spread throughout the known world. And we saw this verse right at the start. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And so we are, we're back to where we began, that God's plan was for his good news to be spread throughout and the expansion of his church from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. This was God's plan for the future. And even in circumstances that look dire as Stephen died, as the church goes under persecution, we see glimmers of hope in God's plan for the future. We're introduced to Saul and we see this church mobilized then from Jerusalem and begin to spread throughout the world. Indeed, it's this Saul character who becomes Paul the Apostle, who's one of the main uh, carriers of the gospel in that latter half of the map of Acts, as he brings the gospel to Europe. And so God has had a plan in the past. He's got a plan in the present, and he has a plan that goes into the future. And part of that plan is in seeing the church on the move. And and that brought a a huge amount of, of change and trial and difficulty in many ways for the early church. But as Jonathan reminded us at the beginning of our service today, one thing has not changed. One thing is not changing. And one thing will never change, and that is our God. And the mission he is on to spread his good news to the ends of the earth. That was his plan for the future of the Church of Jerusalem. And because we can look to the past and see his plans completed, because we know his work in the present, we can be sure that his future plans will come to pass. He will continue to build his church and spread his good news. And so for those of us this morning who have put our trust in Jesus, for those of us seeking to, to follow him in the present, we can, be, we can have a sure and certain hope for the future. And therefore, let's be people who are working towards God's good plans. Let's be people who are continually offering ourselves to God to be used by him in in any way he sees fit. And let's be people who tell of his good news to a world that watches on. Indeed, could we say, let's continue to be the church on the move. Following God where he leads us. Guiding him or letting him guide us to wherever he may take us. I know that might not be comfortable. But it will be good because those are God's plans and God is always good. As we've encountered so much of Stephen's story, this huge chunk of text, even a lot of thoughts um, that that I've shared this morning, let's come in stillness and in quiet. Maybe it would be good for us to reflect. Maybe already you want to be starting to think through some of the things in the past where you have seen God's plans come to fruition. Or maybe you find yourself in the present, needing to to let go of some more stuff that we are clinging on to ourselves. So that God will have more space in our lives to, to shape us more into the likeness of his son. And therefore more active for him, for his kingdom. Or, or maybe you are, are waiting for God's plans for the future. Maybe you're excited about where he's leading you, but frustrated with where you are. And so let's pray. Knowing that we come to pray to uh, the God who will work out his plans. And let's humble ourselves before him as he works out his plans and we lay down ours. And so let's let's spend a moment in quietness and then we'll pray together and I'll, I'll close us with prayer.
And so, our Father, we come before you, recognizing that that you are a sovereign, that you are good, that you are working out your plans. And Father, thank you for the gift of hindsight. Thank you that we can look back not only through Scripture, but even in our own lives, maybe in your work across the world. And we thank you that we do see you working out your plans. And God, I pray that with the reality of that, with a renewed sense of that, you would give us confidence and trust that, that you can be trusted with, with our lives for the present and your will for the future. And God, we recognize that, uh, that as you do work in our hearts, as you do, as your spirit does conform us into the likeness of your son, Father, sometimes that is difficult. That is a refining process that can be hard, it can be painful, but it, it always bears fruit. And, and so I pray, Father, uh, that you would help us all to to be attentive to those areas of our lives that you are pointing out to us even now. Father, those areas where we are, are seeking to, to maintain control. And actually, Father, you are asking us to lay them down before you. And God, I pray as we as we do that, Father, would you help us as your followers, as you help would you help us as brothers and sisters together as part of your family to encourage one another? To, to watch out for one another in these days. Father, we recognize that, that when your spirit is at work, we often encounter opposition. We often encounter difficulty in many ways and in many forms. And so we pray, Father, that we would be strengthened by your spirit and also strengthened by one another for the, the, the call that you have placed upon us to be transformed into your likeness. And God, we do thank you for your plans for the future. Thank you that your good news continues to spread, even in the midst of COVID-19. Thank you, Father, that, that there's nothing in this world that surprises you. And there's nothing in this world that is greater than you or that can control your work. And so we pray, Father, that your good news would continue to be spread. And, and Father, may we then, as your people in this place, may we be faithful in how we share that news. May we be faithful in how we live it out. Uh, may we, Father, be be mindful of and supportive of, of your people at work in other places in the world. God, would you continue to move? Continue, Father, to, uh, to stir your people to action. So we thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for the example of Stephen. Thank you, God, that your spirit is still at work as much today as, as he was in Stephen's life. And we pray for more of you, Father. And it's in your wonderful name we ask these things. Amen. Amen. I'd love us to um, to move towards a, a time of communion. And and we recognise, uh, as we celebrate communion every week, um, we, we never want to become complacent with it or, or complacent about it. Um, but as we think about God's plan in the past, in the present, in the future, of course, we, we so wonderfully see God's plan in the cross. As Jesus took the, the sin that was mine, the sin that was yours, he took the penalty of that upon himself so that God's holiness and justice would be satisfied and so that his love and mercy would be poured out. Uh, and so we come, um, we come to recognise that, we come to remember that, we come to celebrate that again. And so however you're going to do that with uh, with whoever you're with or, or um, wherever you find yourself uh, this morning, 
um, please do maybe prepare that now. And what I would like to do is um, to sing Oh Praise the Name again, um, just because it's so wonderfully, uh, indeed, as, as the first line says, casts our mind to Calvary, uh, but, but ends with such triumph. And so as we remember the cross and we remember the price that Jesus paid for each of us and for his church, the bride, uh, would we would we be um, pouring our hearts out before him once again, surrendering ourselves to him and his service? And so maybe you want to be gathering those elements. When we come back together, I'll be I'm reading again from 1 Corinthians 11. Um, and so you might want to have that copy in front of you too. Um, so maybe you want to sing, maybe you want to just reflect on these words. Um, but let's come before uh, God as we come to celebrate communion together.